Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. I'm Bo Robinson, and sitting across from me is the big O, Oscar Combs, as we wrap up Conversations with Oscar Combs, this being episode 101 and we wanted to give our thoughts and some behind the scenes stories about our guest and Oscar let me congratulate you on 101 episodes of conversations and I feel like we really produced and documented a comprehensive history of football basketball athletics and the athletics department at the University of Kentucky. Bo this has been one of the most pleasant things I've done throughout my few years on this earth Uh, being able to sit down with some of these former great athletes and coaches along with you to talk with them, let them reminisce, and sort of let them tell the stories in their own words has been a pleasure to me and I think a pleasure to our listeners that from this point forward they can always dial up uh, the sounds of a Joe B. Hall or the sounds of a uh, Humsey Yesen or the sounds of a Derek Ramsey. I've just had so much fun. I sort of hate it a little bit that uh, we're winding it up here. But, you know, there, there's there's going to be another project somewhere in the future that I will tackle. But uh, it is very pleasant to be able to sit down and go through these first 100 episodes and just tease you a little bit if you missed one of these somewhere along the line or you missed more than one. We just want to tell you what the episodes uh, were a little bit about each one, maybe just a tease to the go back and listen to it. You know, I've said this every time that we've finished, Bo, I would say, wow, this is pretty good today. And then I would always call you on Tuesday about 10 or 11 o'clock <laughs> and say, Bo, it's even better than what I thought. I, 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 I cannot remember a single one where I was disappointed. And every time that we would get done interviewing somebody – and they would walk out, I would kind of look at you and go, you hit a home run, you hit a grand slam. And not to demean anybody on what their episodes were about or anything like that, but they gradually were getting better and better. And what I notice in your interview style is you were tapping into some uh, emotions and really pulling that stuff out. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the most heartwarming thing with all of these we've done is I would have a general number of uh, topics to bring up, but each and every one would bring out not just one or two things that I had no earthly knowledge about, but sometimes five or six. And the best part of a lot of the podcasts, I didn't even know it was existing. But the one thing I found out from all of these is the fact that when we got into them, 
they were so eager to tell their story, and they did it without any pressure. They didn't have to worry about offending anyone because the coach is no longer the coach, you know, uh, and, and they were so loose. And some of the guests we had, it was very difficult in getting them to um, come around to participate. I tried, must have been for a better part of two years on Governor John Y. Brown. And we got three great episodes out of him. And it took me about six months to get my one of my closest buddies of all time, Joe B. Hall. And we thought we would get 30 minutes out of him. We got four hours and 10 minutes. But we could go up and down the line. But before we get into these different episodes, there's a few people I would like to thank sure. that made these possible. And uh, that is our, our good friend, John Scott. Uh, this guy is gold to Kentucky basketball enthusiasts. His history, his documentation, the statistics, is second to no one. And and I hope John gets a, a chance to listen to this because, John, without you, our podcast wouldn't have been near as good because we always go back to you to get the stats and the little stories you would document on that. And uh, trust me, uh, you will always be remembered as the number one historian of UK basketball. Also, all the coaches that uh, participated, the former athletes, uh, the players, the managers, the academic people. You know, we, we had so many great podcasts with people uh, like uh, Walt McCombs, uh, you know, just up and down the line with different people, Bob Bradley that came in, and some of the Olympic sport coaches that you went always. Dennis Emery was awesome, you know, and, of course, our friend Keith Madison. And then the Committee of 101. We couldn't have all those guys on there, but we got one on there. And what the men in the blue jackets, as they refer to them, what they mean to not just UK basketball, but to football and the other sports. They give of their time, and it's a big, big asset to the University of Kentucky. And then, of course, uh, uh, we go over to Brett Morris, uh, my friend, your friend, who's put our – website and all of our tech stuff together and of course Bo you the main man and uh, without that and we'll get into that a little bit more detail later but all, all all of these people has made this podcast series what it is today and I'm I'm just so very pleased that we're able to bring you the 101 and the last person the last group is our good friends at Rafferty's Restaurants and Double Dog Chow House, and especially our friend Scott Lindsay. Thank you. Uh, it's been a joy, and I hope that you all have enjoyed it and hope your business has uh, uh, become a little bit better as a result of it. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, you know, speaking about Brett, there was multiple times where I was calling him at 7 o'clock in the morning, and right before I would upload it on Tuesday morning, hey, there's something wrong. Can you do this? And, you know, <laughs> he, he would answer the phone uh, very politely. I'm surprised. And uh, talking about John Scott and his site, how many times were you would be interviewing somebody and – we were trying to figure out something, and here I am on my computer on my phone trying to pull up his site and writing yeah. it down and sliding it over to you. Yeah, John, John, I mean, there's just nobody like John, and, and I hope UK at some point in time recognizes uh, just what he has done, uh, not just for the university, but particularly with the fans all around the nation. Anytime you pull up a player, his website, bigbluehistory.net, comes up immediately. Let's talk about how this came about a few years ago. Oscar, it was a little bit more than you approaching to me saying, hey, I got an idea. Let's do a podcast. Well, Bo, uh, it, it goes back, I guess, 
little over 20 years ago. It was in the mid-90s, or actually the late 80s, when my good friend and the late Russell Weiss was ESID over at UK, and uh, he was getting near retirement, and uh, I went to him one day and said, Russell, wouldn't you like to write a column for me in the Cat Spots, which I owned until 1997. And uh, Russell was always the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. One day he was your best friend. The next day, you know, you'd bump into him and say, who are you? But uh, uh, Russell and I go back to my childhood in eastern Kentucky. He actually was sports editor of the Hazard Herald when I was like 15 years old. So I, I knew him from then. But anyway, he said, well, what do you want from me? And I said, nothing other than a column. And he said, oh, you're just trying to. You're just trying to pump me up for something. And I said, no. So a couple of years later, he retired. He called me up and he said, Oscar, you still want me to write that column? I said, of course I do, Russell. And he said, well, what do you want me to write about? And I said, well, Russell, I go back to Rupp's runs. In fact, I can actually go back to 58 when Johnny Cox helped Kentucky win Adolph Rupp's fourth title. But I don't know anything beyond that. Oh, I've heard of the Fabulous Five. I know they won the Olympics, and I know they won the NCAA, but that's pretty much it. No Wawa Jones. He said, okay. So the first thing he did, he wrote me a story on Fabulous Five, 1948 champs. And I started reading it at first, and I thought, well, this is you know going to be sort of dull. I know this thing got down to a, mention a guy by the name of Cliff Barker. And I thought I remember, and then he said, you know Cliff Barker? And I said, yeah. And uh, this was right before he submitted the first column. And he said, did you know he played for Kentucky in 48? And I said, of course I do. He said, do you know that he was 26 years old when he came to Kentucky? I said, no, I didn't know that. That's a little bit old. And he said, well, did you know he was in the service? No. Did you know he was in the Air Force? No. He said, before he came to UK? No. And then he said, well, do you know that he was a fighter pilot in the Air Force? And I said, no. And I wonder, where's he going with this? And he said, well, you do realize that he was shot down over Germany in World War II? No. Oh, by the way, he was a prisoner of war for 14 months. And then he came back and went to school at UK to get his degree. I said, wow. And then he goes on to tell the story about when they were playing in the tournament in 48 and people were remarking about how great a passer he was. And he said, you know why he could pass the ball that well? And I said, no. And he said, well, because you didn't have anything else to do but pass a medicine ball back and forth in the prisoner of war camp. And that sort of taught me a lesson right there. What do we know? You know, and so he started doing more and more stories like that. And I, I'm a historian, much like you are, and I was learning so much. And, but at the same time, I say, you know, he's doing some good stuff, and I'd never do anything like that. And then, of course, in 97, I started doing a pregame show with Dave Baker on the UK Network. And at that time, I met a young Bo Robinson. So that's where we sort of joined hands at that. And it wasn't very long that I knew that you liked to collect UK memorabilia and Anything that didn't move, you'd take it home when you put it on the wall. <laughs> uh, and as we wound down into um, the last six, seven years, I, I, I felt an urge that 
fans were, one, forgetting the past, particularly the media, and two, they didn't really know. I mean, people were having a hard time coming up with, you know, players' names from the 60s and the 70s and 80s. And Leroy Bird, Leroy Bird. I mean, you could go out there today and you'd be hard-pressed to find 15% of the people who knew who knows Leroy Bird or what he did at Kentucky. Baby Magic. Baby Magic. That's one of the great stories that we told with Leroy Bird, what he dropped on us in that podcast. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to go there and listen. What he dropped us on that podcast brings tears to your eyes and tells you what a great human being that Leroy Bird is. So as we get near this, I'm thinking, and I'd, I'd sort of gotten to the point bold where it was hard for me to pump up a situation or a team or a player. You know, so often uh, we're wanting to make a player look to be greater than what he is or worse than what he is. And I, I was sort of getting a little bit worn out. So I just decided uh, early in 16 that after the 16 season, I was going to wait a month after the season ended, and if I felt the same way I did at that time, it was time to go out. I I always look at coaches and broadcasters staying too long. I never wanted to do that. So the year leading up to it, and, and there were probably one or two people who sort of looked at me and said, he's got something on his mind. <laughs> I'm looking at one of them now. And, uh, and so I waited till after the 16th season, had a very, very enjoyable drive with some friends out to uh, Des Moines, Iowa, when Kentucky got upset by an Indiana team, Tom Crean, and thought, this is the time to do it. And at the time that I was finally there, I thought, you know, I appreciate Russell Rice today more than ever. And so I decided... I'm going to get a hookup with old Bo and see what Bo says. And I read it by you, and that was the beginning of conversations with Oscar Combs. Were you ever worried about the feedback you were going to get? Oscar Combs now in this digital age, doing the podcast, downloading things to mobile devices. Were you ever worried about what kind of feedback? I never was, but... No, no, I've, I've never been that concerned about... I, I'm like everybody else. I like people to, to like me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I'm not embarrassed by anything. I'm a firm believer in God. I'm very religious. So, no, I mean, you know, I I live in a life on my sleeve, and uh, you get what you see. We absolutely got what we wanted out of 100 episodes. Yeah. Uh, the, and the, more. The, the, ne the next thing was, it's taken uh, a couple months to sort of set the parameters of what we wanted to do. And, you know, I wanted to... Uh, do uh, basketball and football. Uh, I made a decision early on. We missed out on some guests that I would have liked to have done, but I did not want to do them over the telephone because mm -hmm. I want to look the person in the eye. And I felt like that was a very important aspect of this whole project is you being able to sit across from somebody. And it goes back to what I said earlier about tapping into those emotions. And you could look at that person. Yeah, and, and fortunately for me, every person that I did, I had a previ previous relationship with. I knew them either from the days that they played or since they retired. Uh, 
when they sat down and started talking, I could read their emotions on their face, where they were happy or sad, uh, where they wanted to expand on something. And I always made it to them up front. If there's something you want to talk about, if I don't mention it, if you want to just throw it out there. Mm-hmm. This is your opportunity to, to put in your words what you want to talk about. And uh, so when I would sit down and, and look at different people I wanted to do, um, like I said, we missed some because they were out of town. I couldn't get them here. But as it started going, uh, after we had four or five, I would start getting feedback from our listeners. You ought to do such and such person. You ought to do this person. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into individuals here in a minute. But uh, my cup runneth over. I mean, I, I had all kinds of people wanting to do it. And, uh, you know, a lot of them went, now, is this going to take more than 30 minutes? And, I, you know, I, I have to admit right now there's more than once I would sort of say, well, you know, 40, 45 minutes, but whatever, because we don't have to cut away for any commercials. And my point was, I didn't want them to say they had to go in 30 minutes. Yeah, and I always liked how you prepped our guest by well, saying, hey, if there's something on your mind, let's get it out there. Yeah. We don't have any time constraints whatsoever. We don't have to worry about commercial breaks, which was great for me. I always thought that was so good before we started recording, just the 10 or 15 minutes that you spent with each guest. Yeah, I... I always, at the very beginning, how am I going to do this? I don't want it just to be an interview. I want to be like, we're just sitting here talking. Mm-hmm. And I want the guest to feel like it's just me and him. And, you know, nobody's looking at us. We don't have a stage. And almost every one of them would say, now, is this live, you know, or is this tape, you know? And and I would say, hey, it's going to be tape. We're going to run it like this. But if we need to edit something, we will. And I can say that the number of times we edited something was on a hand that had less than three fingers. Correct. So uh, that that was that was never that big an issue. And uh, when when we would get in with a different guest, um, they usually had something they wanted to bring out, and and we we allowed them to bring it out. And uh, at the end of each one of them, I never had anyone to say I wished I hadn't done that or. I didn't do a good job. Some of them would walk out and say, did I do okay? And then two or three days later, they say, wow, I had a lot of people say they really enjoyed it. And there were times where you and I would look at each other and go, well, I didn't expect him to go that way. Yeah, there were. There, and that's there, fine. There, there, there was were, nothing there were, wrong with that. Yeah, there, there were some people who we did that I thought would be a little bit more reserved. Uh, there were some people who said some things that were just brutally honest. But they did it in a nice way. I, th- I thought it was particularly important for us to get some of the people to address some of the issues that were perceived by the public when they were here. And they did. Well, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't going to miss those uh, 10 o'clock Tuesday morning phone calls from you. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we did have some, uh, uh, some times where we had to work in tight spots because mm-hmm. of... Uh, recording dates and availability of being able to put these together. But, you know, as we neared the end and we decided uh, to stop at 100, um, I thought it was important when I started coming up the number, I decided on 101 for one reason, and that was sort of an honor and a tribute to the Committee of 101. Uh, Nothing has popped up on this campus in the last 75 years that had any more of a 
positive influence on UK athletics, the basketball program, and as a result, the other programs, than this group of men that actually started from some workers that IBM back in the 66 season sending a telegram to Coach Rupp, wishing them well when they were going undefeated until the final game at Tennessee. From my standpoint, and I'm sure you feel the same way, we never missed an episode. There was one summer we took off because mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure this is how we wanted to proceed. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we never missed a week No, no, that, that was important to me. That's a little bit of uh, my type A personality. I, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right, and I don't want to mess up, and I don't want to miss out. And there were six or eight times where you had to pull some strings and cut out some time at the last minute on Monday evening for it to be up on Tuesday morning. I really appreciate that. But everything we set out to do, I feel good about. Uh, I feel good that uh, we've allowed some people to uh, to say things that uh, uh, will be heard by the younger generation. For me, it's more about what people will say 30, 40, 50 years from now about, boy, I wonder what Cotton Nash, I'd, I'd love to hear how he sounded, you know, uh, it would have been a little bit neat if we had video on top of it, too, but nobody wants to look at my ugly head, and your looks too much like mine for them to look <laughs> at, too. So, you know, we're better off for that. But, uh, no, it, it, it's been been a really go. And I've got three or four people, you know, that almost every week on Wednesday calls me and say, hey, boy, that was really good today. And, uh, of course, we like to hear that. I'm going to brag a little bit. I think we've done a wonderful job putting together – uh, let's bring this up to date, a digital time capsule of athletics at the University of Kentucky. Without question. And uh, let's go through all 100 episodes. The first episode we actually recorded was Billy Ray Lickard. Nobody knows that except you and me at this point in 2016, August. Well, when when we sat down and finally decided, let's let's do it, we didn't know exactly how it would go. Uh I wrestle for probably two weeks on what kind of questions I'm going to ask. Well, no, I don't want it just to be questioned. How am I going to do it? What will listeners want to hear from a player? And uh, so I finally decided I'd have, you know, 12, 15 topics. And then I was going to have 12 to 15 questions like, who's the best player you ever played against? What's the best game you ever had? What's the worst game you ever had? The biggest disappointment you had at UK. And then I would always come back and ask the guest to tell me what he remembers most about each of his teammates. And and that formula, I thought, I'll use it for a week or two and see what happens, and then I will tweak it, as Coach Cow would say. Well, what I found out after two or three, three, we weren't losing any games. There was no tweaking needed uh but the reason it started out with bill ray leckard is i've I've known bill ray's name since he played at lafayette in 1957 uh, for the late ralph carlisle and they won the state title and he came to kentucky and i knew that he was a great player um but that was about in about 15 years ago he started uh came over to uh, the Manual Baptist Church Rock Cafe where several guys, ex-players, coaches, and other people would have lunch. And he came in with uh, Larry Hopkins one morning, a congressman from here in Lexington. 
and I got to talking to him, and uh, uh, somebody said, well, what, what do you do every day? Well, you know, I just sit around the house. I'm retired now, and Sue, my wife, wants me to get out. and said, well, why don't you start coming over here some? So I got to develop a pretty close relationship with, with Billy Ray, and as time went along, and he told us the great story about he and his wife got married, which you're going to have to go to the podcast. Absolutely, yes. And uh, so got to him. So when we started out doing a podcast, I said, you know, I, I sort of feel comfortable with Billy Ray. So that's how we ended up doing Billy Ray first, and it really went really smooth. But this was the beginning of the football season, and I didn't want to start out with a basketball player at the very beginning of a football season. So I got to looking around, and so then we came up. I think we actually did four that we sort of put in the bank, so to speak, and then we decided how we would run them. And the other three were uh, Joe Bryant, Kyle Macy, and Humsey Yesson. And Humsey came across real quickly because Humsey's now in his mid-90s and going just as strong as he did at 18. But Humsey, in addition to being a manager at UK for Rupp, he was also working with a football program and Bear Bryant. So he's got all these stories on Bear and Rupp. He was a teammate at Harlan High School with Wawa Jones, went with Wawa on his official visit to Tennessee where he had already committed to Kentucky, and he went to Tennessee, and while he was there, he committed to Tennessee. And on their way back to Harlan, they stopped in Middlesbrough. And Hums, he says, well, you're going to have to call Coach Rupp and tell him you're not going there. I'll leave the story there. He finishes on the tape. So anyway, we decided to go with Humsey Yesen first because it covered both football and basketball. And uh, if you really want to hear stories that you cannot hear anywhere else, episode number one is Humsey Yesen. It's the one to go to. And the great thing about Humsey, you talked about how he's in his mid-90s. He came straight from the golf course that day to record with us yes and as we're speaking right now he's probably back on that golf course. i wouldn't doubt it one bit episode two was joe bryant good friend of mine uh joe bryant happened to be here at the university uh playing football when i came to lexington in 1976 um to start the cat and joe bryant's an old western kentucky boy country boy from uh, western kentucky he actually transferred here from uh, western kentucky University under Fran Kersey was a place kicker on the 77 team, great 10 1 team. And uh, his story is very interesting. You'll enjoy hearing that. We got into uh, some more football players uh, from that 76 77 era at UK. And as the years, as the last couple of years w- went on, we realized how prevalent that was going to be in 2018, 2019 here. Yes. I mean, when you start talking about the program, uh, that Mark Stoops has put together here in the last six years and what they achieved this past year, uh, you had to start going back to that 77 team to come up with anything similar to it. And uh, throughout the series, we've got a lot of references to 76-77, the bowl season and the 10-1 season that they weren't in the bowl because they were on probation. Episode 3, 1978 national champion, and this man was probably responsible for uh, having more children named after him, born in 77, 78, 79, Kyle Macy. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joe B. was recruiting him very, very heavily when he was a senior in high school in Peru, Indiana. His dad was a coach there. 
And uh, he was taking his time. The Purdue was in on him. IU was in on him. Uh, Joe finally just said, hey, we, we got to get a guard in here. And uh, so they took Truman Clater and then have another scholarship open. He went to Purdue one year, become Big Ten freshman of the year there. Did not blend in too good with, uh, with the coaching staff. And then he transferred, and he had to set out 76-77. And that was a year that perhaps with Kyle Macy, uh, they would have won a national title. In fact, Joe B. has told me several times since then that he thought that the 77 team was better than the 78 team. Episode four, we just spoke about him, Billy Ray Lickard. And we recorded Billy Ray, as we said, in August of 2016. And tragically, a year later, Billy Ray had passed away. Yeah. As we started doing this, one of the things that we wanted to do, that we, we knew there were some, some people, not him in particular, because we thought he was in good shape at the time. But right. We knew there were some players that were nearing – the time that they wouldn't be with us, and we wanted to make sure we got those early. And like I said, it wasn't him, but uh, I, I got to tell one quick Billy Ray story that involved other people, and that was uh, back in uh, mid two thousands. The uh, issue of all Americans came up in basketball, and uh, Scott Strickland was the SID at Kentucky at the time. He called me up one day and said. Oscar, could you have lunch with me? I got something I need to talk to you about. And I said, what is it? And he said, well, let's just have lunch. And we met over at the Rock at the church. And he said, I've got this problem that uh, all the coaches around the country want every player who ever played with them to be an All-American and put in a guide that way because it makes it look like we do good with our recruits. And he said, SIDs all over the country has had this problem, so we've all got together went to the NCAA and said, hey, why don't you make them an official list? I can't tell my coach that I can't put this guy in, but if I can tell him the NCAA says he's not an All-American, you can sort of cover him by backside. So the co-sider group went to the NCAA. Each school sent in who they thought was their All-Americans. Then they certified it. So I, I said, what's the big issue? And he said, well, he said, we got good news and bad news. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, the NCAA says we got – six more All-Americans than we even think we got. And I said, well, what's bad about that? And he said, well, we lost one too. And so when Rupp was coach here, his theory, and of course, you know, I'm sure he did run the SIDs in his era, is you didn't consider an All-American unless you made first team or second team of a five-man team. If you were third team, you weren't recognizing the many guys as an All-American. Back then, you had the Helms Foundation All-American list, which contained two 10-man teams. Well, Rupp wouldn't even consider a uh, second team there. You had to be one of the top 10 players in the list. So over the years, there were some people left out. And uh, so uh, there was one guy who got removed because they found out he, he was never documented as All-American. But he's, he said, we got six new ones. And among the six, and I'm going to miss one, there was – uh, ben Ray Lickert, Scott Padgett, Mike Pratt, Bobby Watson, Thad Jarris, for the first time in 2006, become an All-American in Kentucky. And uh, they, uh, so I'm at, at lunch one day with Bill Ray, and some people come in. I understand Bill Ray is the greatest All-American of all time. 
And Ben Ray is so humble that, you know, after lunch he came in, he said, Oscar, you embarrass me. I said, what do you mean? Well, you call me the greatest All-American of all time, and I'm not even an All-American. And I said, Ben Ray, you are? And he said, no, I'm not. And he said, I won the first or second team, five-man team. And so I said, oh, you don't know? And he said, what? And I said, you are an All-American. He said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, I'll show you tomorrow. And I brought a media guy next time. And he said, I didn't know that. So anyway, they got the new All-Americans put in. But they never did promote it because they were afraid that the uh, relatives of the one they had to take it out would be upset. And at this point in time, in Mitch Barnhart's administration at UK, it was early on. And, you know, it took a few years for Mitch to to be accepted by the media and the fandom. So they didn't want to do anything to draw a negative connotation to a, a new crisis, so they didn't make it. They put it in the media guy, but they didn't give them any publicity or notice they had made it. And uh, I never saw a guy any happier that. And, of course, like I said, there was Scott Padgett, Mike Pratt, Bobby Watson, Thad Jerson. There was one other that escapes my name. I'm just so thrilled that he was able to – find out about his all-american status before he passed and even more excited that we were able to interview billy ray Licker. yeah he, he was he was such a humble person he loved all sports he would watch any sport that mm-hmm. was on tv and i never heard him say a negative word about anybody and which is even better i've never said anybody seen anybody say a negative word about him and a great radio voice Great. He just had that deep, bellowing, low voice. And, I mean, you knew that you were in the presence of just this ubiquitous individual who was very humble. Episode 5, Jim Host, who has the dubious honor of being our most listened to podcast, 5,233. Well, that, that, that went pretty well nationwide, Bo. And the reason that there was so much in there that other people in other conferences and schools did not know that he revealed. And the big one in all of that is how Kentucky came very, very, very close to leaving the SEC in the early 90s to join the ACC and how that expansion was getting ready to happen in the SEC. And he tells a story how uh, initially the SEC wanted Florida State to join the SEC instead of South Carolina. And that uh, the commissioner of the SEC and Jim is part of the party because he was doing some media rights for the SEC, visited Florida State. And the president had agreed to move on to the SEC. And one of their last things was meeting with Bobby Bowden at the time. So, you know, I mean, he's the football coach and football wags the tail in Tallahassee. And when they call him in to discuss it, he tells the president, listen, I can bring you a trophy a conference trophy home just about every year in the ACC. I'm not going to be able to do that in the SEC. And that was the end of it. And instead of being Florida State coming into the SEC, I think it was 92, it was South Carolina. And uh, I had a couple of friends from South Carolina uh, to call me immediately and say, hey, how'd you get that? And I said, well, I just got Jim sent. He said, guess what? That was true. And then a guy from Clemson called me. And then it started hitting around on Twitter and and everything. And that's where the huge numbers came in. But more importantly, Jim has been 
a playmaker in the UK scene for the better part of 45 years. Almost always up until the last 10 years or so here, he was involved in the hiring of football and basketball coaches because his firm would make up anywhere from a half to three-fourths of the coach's salary through the meteorites deal. Uh, his story uh, of him talking about how Rick Pitino was hired uh, is real good, uh, uh, real good podcast listening. If, if you want a crash course on sports marketing and how media rights work and the business side of it, Jim Host, I mean, he was a visionary. And Yeah. It, it, the big thing to me, though, in the podcast we did, I mean, that's one of the one episodes that we probably should have done two with. But I didn't think we could string him that long after he was in here. We probably could have kept him for four hours. But how – things went on with Eddie Sutton, mm -hmm. how things went on with the hiring of a uh, friend Kersey and then Jerry Claiborne, then Bill Curry, then Hal Mummy. Uh, he gave us the backroom talk, the talk that no one got to hear outside those four walls. It's very, very uh, informative. And if you want to find out who almost became the coach after Joe B. Hall, then episode five, Jim Host, you want to listen to it. I'll tell a little story about Jim Host. I went to work with for him. Uh, I was a sophomore in college, 1997. I never had a legitimate radio gig. And all of a sudden, I get a call from our good friend Randy Phillips. Uh, he was working for Jim Host at the time at Host Communications. Asked me to come down, interview. And the next thing I know, I'm working at the Host Broadcast Center. And Jim Host comes down. And he's got a tour of all these suits, and there's probably about 20 people, and I'm just a little old sophomore. I have no business being in there whatsoever. And he looks at me, and he said, uh, young man, would you mind to uh, give us a tour and show us all how this equipment works? <laughs> this was like two weeks on the job. I was nervous, very nervous. So we bring Jim Host in October 2016. I hadn't talked to Jim Host in forever. Mr. Host sits down. You introduce me. And sure enough, he remembered my name. That will always stick out in my mind about Jim Host. Episode six, Larry Stamper, who makes the best banana pudding. I found that out not too long ago. Great, great guy. Uh, come from the foothills, I would say, of eastern Kentucky. Uh, you got to sort of stretch a little bit to say eastern Kentucky, but at the foothills, Batesville, Lee County, Kentucky. Played in the good old 14th region. Uh, he was one of Rupp's favorite players late in Rupp's career. Got to play for both Rupp and Joe B. Hall. Uh, noted for his rough play. Uh, noted for bringing, putting more bruises on UK players than the opponents did just in practice sessions. Had some real good stories to tell you. He'll tell you about how he really enjoyed getting uh, assigned the best player on the opposing teams and had a great career here at Kentucky. And this goes for everybody that we've interviewed, how humble these individuals are. As a fan, you know, we put them up on pedestals. We don't know how they're going to react to to fans coming up, maybe asking for an autograph or a picture or anything like that. But everybody has been so kind, uh, one with their time, and just been absolutely humble and being a part of something that is so big. That's, that's Larry. I mean, you, that's all you have to say. Uh, Larry is just one of those guys that's uh, uh, just a friend to everybody, uh, done a great job in the community over in Clark County, uh, taught school for a while, he's retired. Uh, just, he's just a salt of the earth.
Episode seven and eight featured the Skywalker. Kenny Walker's got to be one of the best storytellers ever. Oh, absolutely. And we're not going to tell you hardly anything about Kenny because you need to go to listen to these two. Actually, he's in another one besides seven and eight. We'll get into that later. But uh, to, to let him tell you his first plane ride, the <laughs> fact that he'd never been outside the state of Georgia until after till his senior year in high school, uh, to hear him tell about how Joby and Leonard Hamilton recruited him. The uh, Charles Hurt, Charles Barkley, Melvin Turpin yes, situation. Yes, the, uh, uh, the, the game they played each other. How uh, Georgia and Auburn and Kentucky were the final three and how Georgia told him, you know, he could come there and do what Herschel Walker did. How Auburn told him he could come there and do what uh, Charles Barkley did. But uh, Kenny is just so down to earth. Uh, I don't know if anybody could have done for Kentucky what he did at that time. Uh, another part of his story is he had such great brothers and a family, and he went on to the NBA, and while he was playing for the New York Knicks, he won the slam dunk uh, contest at the All-Star Game in Atlanta the week his father passed away. But more than anything else, just listen to him describe senior day at Kentucky with his family. Kenny Walker, one of my all-time favorite players, and he was telling the story about Melvin Turpin, and you and I have had this talk many times, how much we miss Melvin, how much we wish he was here, and that we would have had the opportunity to talk with Melvin. Yes. Episode 9, 10, 11, and 12, Coach Joby Hall and – Oscar, we were in for an adventure with Joe B., weren't we? Well, we won't go too far because there's four episodes on this, and be ready because each one's about an hour long. But uh, I'd been working on Joe for five, six months, and he was, uh, well, I don't know. You know, I've, I've, I've told it, and, you know, I, I don't know that there's much I can say. And, you know, nobody wants to listen to me. And I kept saying, okay, you know, just, just give me, you know, 30, 45 minutes, and finally he agreed to. He said, but you got to come to my condo to do it. We agreed to do that, and as we were driving over, I said, hey, I'm just going to turn it on and start going. Don't say a word. Don't stop. Don't do nothing. Hopefully we get 45, but if we stop, we'll probably lose him. And we get in there, and he's got a cold in his voice. And uh, he said, we'll start at 10 o'clock. We start at 10, and uh, – we finally backed our chair back at 10 minutes after two. And uh, one, one quick question, because we got a lot of people to go through here today. But uh, the one quick, not question, but comment was his story of when his family was needing a job early in his childhood. And his dad and his mom loaded up their car with their three kids from Cynthia and headed to Florida. And they, they didn't have even enough money to stay in a hotel or motel overnight. So I think it was Georgia or Tennessee one. They pulled over to one of these state roadside park and pitched a tent to get on to Florida. And then they both got a job, and as a result of both of them going to work, their mother sent them to school each morning with their lunch. And for a full month, they thought they were going to school. And when they got the report card, they found out that as soon as they left to go to work, they went to the beach. They didn't go to school. So, and, and I'm just saying, if you really want to know Kentucky basketball, these four episodes are a must. 
four fun episodes, uh, the true essence, the true core of Kentucky basketball. And we walked in there at 930 that morning. This was three days before Christmas. Started at 10 o'clock. We go all the way till 2. He stopped one time, and the only reason he stopped was somebody called his cell phone and asked him if he wanted to go to Waffle House for lunch. And he hung up on him, and we continued right then and there. So, And I, we walked out of there. I looked at you, and I said, that's the greatest Christmas gift anybody's ever given me. Episode 13 was Cliff Berger, who played in the late 60s for Coach Adolph Rupp. And he played along with the Runts, and he kind of took a back seat once Mike Casey, Pratt, and Issel came in how important was it to you to get stories from guys like cliff well the, the, the thing about cliff Berger, he's been such a great success in life he went on he's now retired orthodontist uh spent most of his uh, uh livelihood in uh, south carolina uh or georgia and back here in kentucky now you need thing about cliff uh that I would have never dreamed of. Another great friend of mine, he's a brother-in-law of Dave Hopewell. I didn't know that. And Hopewell was the great football center for Kentucky in 76 and 77. So they have a lot of jostling back and forth about football and basketball. But Cliff's a great guy. He came in, uh, like you said, around the runts there. He he was a sophomore on the runts team. And uh, right after him was, uh, was Dan Issel. But Cliff's a great guy, and he's one of these guys that gives you uh, so much class to the uh, program of Kentucky basketball. Episode 14, and number 10 on our all-times listens list, uh, the youngest so far, Cameron Mills. Well, Cameron's Cameron. That's that's number one. Ultimate walk-on, being a Kentucky native, uh, being a kid that – could put up the threes in an era where uh, you could really shine. Uh, Got to remember, he's a chip off the old block. Second generation, his dad played for Kentucky 20 years earlier. Uh, walked on, um, played on a team that was a star on the team that won it in 98, played a lot in 97. Uh, has his own little media empire today. Uh I guess you could call him outspoken. I think he prefers, and I prefer to say, prefer to say he's telling it like it is. Um, but gosh, of all the great shots from Vernon Hatton's nailing the floor to the to you know last second shots, his shot against Duke in the '98 semifinals, or not semifinals, but the Elite Eight, I guess it was, in uh, Tampa Bay, St. Petersburg. Um, one of the greatest shots of all time. The shot heard around the bluegrass, Cameron yes. Mills. And what was interesting was that 98 team, how they came together, because the last game they lost, and he will go into this, was February of um, February of 1998 when they played Ole Miss. But what I found more intriguing with Cameron, just to kind of bring it up to date a little bit, was his comments on his former coach, Rick Pitino. Well, a great deal of our podcast was – a probably one of our livelier ones we've done. And this was right before all this came to a head at Louisville where Patino was at Goba. We talked about the fact that why, when he left Kentucky, what had happened since then. Uh, players are very, very tight with their coaches, and they should be. I mean, that's part of it. 
But uh, he talks about the pros and the cons, and I think this wasn't long after Rick's last appearance at Rupp Arena, his uh, next to last year, and uh, whether or not that he would ever be accepted coming back. But uh, Cameron, Cameron has some very strong strong thoughts on that, the 96, 97, and 98 teams. And, and that's, that's a situation that will be debated probably – 50 years from now, maybe maybe 30 years from now, it will soften a little bit when all the people are starting to no longer be around. But as long as the people are around that when that happened, that's, that's always going to be a debatable, debatable issue. But your players stand behind you, and that's the way it should be. Episode 15 was your daughter, Amy Beth Combs, and you all, we kind of got off the beaten path a little bit, and you all previewed the All-Star Weekend and talked about the NBA, and I think it was a great surprise to the Big Blue Nation (laughs) that uh, your daughter, Amy Beth, knew more about the NBA than what's going on with UK. Well, she she took over. She went to UK, graduated in 99, uh, 2000, and she became infatuated with – Cal's one-and-done crew. And she fell in love with uh, Wall and Cousins, particularly Cousins and Bledsoe, and got into the NBA to where she really saw something happening that Cal was saying, but not a lot of the other people. It's like, you know, Kentucky's having a lasting mark on how the game is played and how it's affected the NBA. And she started doing all this research and, uh, and putting on the website uh, what these players were doing. And now – uh, two, three years later, uh, there's been several people who's tried to develop websites just strictly on former NBA players. But what they do and the following they have and the impact they have is pretty phenomenal. And uh, you can't – it's also costing me $250 a year to have a league pass now. But I have to admit, <laughs> I watch them with her, and uh, uh, she knows the end of a bench of every NBA team. And – the NBA uh, has, has certainly uh, taken on a decided Kentucky flavor and how it's affected Kentucky in recruiting now. I think at a point in time, I've got to get her to address this, that what the one and done is going to do when it's no longer around. When you listen to episode 15, you really come away thinking that Amy Beth Combs is an NBA insider more than a Disney insider. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Episode 16, we shift back to UK football, Phil Greer. Great Eastern Kentucky guy. Uh, uh, played in high school, Jenkins High School. Came here in the early 60s. He was here during the era of uh, Charlie Bradshaw and the Thin 30. Uh, later, become an excellent coach and teacher at Tate's Creek High School. Then got filthy rich, uh, owning a whole string of uh, – Cheddar's diners throughout the country. Great guy. Refereed uh, basketball in the SEC. Uh, did a great job. One of the real influential Kentucky football backers even today. What's great about Phil Greer and as you listen to these episodes, they all cross over somehow. And Phil Greer and Humsey, yes. And Humsey had went and actually did a little bit of recruiting for Coach Rupp, I believe, taking a look at Phil Greer. And Phil Greer goes on to say, I could have played with the Ruts. Maybe the decision I should have made 
kind of regret that a little bit. If he played with runs, he'd probably turned into a basketball fanatic, and he would never made his millions upon millions with cheddars. That's true. We wouldn't be enjoying cheddars today uh, if he'd made that decision. Episode 17, and man, what a solid dude right here. Derek Ord. Great, great, great guy. Uh, in the pharmaceutical, well, not pharmaceutical, he, he's in the uh, medical field now. He helps recruit doctors for one of the local hospitals here. Came from Bristol, uh, Bristol, Virginia, Tennessee, which is the, the state border is on one side of a street. On the other side is the other one. Uh, was very, very close to Bill Gatton, who is one of the university's greatest uh, Donors, I think he's given them something like close to $30 million over the years. Had a bunch of uh, car lots throughout Tennessee, Wild Bell Gat and Chevrolet, I think it was. Uh, but he came here, I think, in 79 with that great recruiting class of Tommy Heights, uh, Sam Bowie, Charles Hurt, Dirk Minifield. Um, they did miss one on that, unfortunately. If the big guy had come from Virginia, mm-hmm. Ralph Sampson – but had had a had a good career at Kentucky. Uh, didn't hardly have the umph in uh, the senior year that a lot of people. But just a great individual, great, great, great person to be around and uh, cherish his friendship. He had had a had a had a, some really terrific games. Episode eighteen features Jim Andrews, and the way Jim Andrews came to Kentucky was just. Joby Hall stopping for gas one one night in Ohio. Yeah, and, and he was actually going to recruit another player. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Jim was his big uh, – his last year here, I think, in 73. Uh, Jim was a guy that really pulled him through. Won Joby his first SEC championship, which he needed really badly because there was such a debate on whether Coach Rupp should have been forced to retire with the state – retirement limit of 70 years old and the last game of the regular season was at the coliseum they wanted it uh they rushed the floor the players carried him off the floor uh, a lot of fans today claim kentucky fans have never rushed the floor there's video and photo evidence that they did that night episodes 19 and 20 features brooks downing from uk athletics administration and Wow, you guys covered a lot of ground in episodes 19 and 20. Everything from Eddie Sutton to Derek Anderson's injury. Yeah, he he was uh, he's a local boy. He uh, went to high school here in Lexington. He worked for K. Wood Ledford for a while. Uh, worked at KHSAA for a while, I believe. And uh, was SID for, gosh, seems like two decades, but I think it's really more like one. Uh, great businessman today. But uh, he, he gave us a lot of inside stuff, uh, much like Cameron Mills and much like Jim Host. Uh, didn't really hold back and brought us up to date on some things. He talked about the, the Rick Patino. He came in under Rick there and has a lot of insight on things that went on then that most people didn't know about then or even now until he told us. And uh, that, again, was done right during that time that everything was going on with Rick at Louisville. And he had some interesting thoughts on how it would play out into the future. And uh, he also uh, operates and manages some in-season Division One college basketball tournaments in Las Vegas. Very, very successful. And uh, two episodes you really want to sit down and listen to 
And it's even better if you can do it at the same time. September 2017, a man with golden tones came in on his bike to the studio. <laughs> the former voice of the Cats, Ralph Hacker. Great, great friend. Uh, nobody helped me more when I came to Lexington in 76 than really three people, Ralph Hacker, Ralph Gabbard, and uh, Jim Host. Uh, Ralph is the one who talked me into doing the pregame show when I sold my business in 97. And uh, I said, Ralph, well, I, don't, I don't know about that. And he said, just, just be yourself, you know. And uh, I enjoyed doing it. It gave me a bridge from selling the business uh, for 20 years to have something to do without just laying around at the house the whole time. And uh, always got great encouragement from Ralph and uh, uh, good advice. And I'd like to think I gave him a little good advice too. But just a, a great person for the university. He's an alum of Eastern Kentucky. He's been very, very loyal to EKU over the years. But if there's one person that has been underappreciated more than anyone else in my lifetime around UK, it's Ralph Hacker. He had the impossible assignment of following Kaywood Ledford. Um, but he did it with class. Uh, he, he never criticized anybody. And uh, to this day, uh, I think of him as a big brother. I worked with Ralph Hacker my first year producing uh, for the network. And we only worked one year together. And Ralph was uh, doing play-by-play. -play. Sam Bowie was on commentary. And, you know, the best thing about Ralph, again, here I am 20 years old. No business being in the basement at the Host Communications Broadcast Center. But Ralph Hacker, listening to him and working with him really made me feel comfortable in my job and that was just the way he presented himself the way he went about his job so my thanks to ralph hacker that was episodes 21 22 and 23 episode 24 we mentioned him a few minutes ago dave hopewell dave's a good guy dave come from alabama he uh his high school coach was tommy limbaugh who was a recruiting coordinator years and years later at kentucky under bill curry uh, he ended up in kentucky for two reasons the number one reason is he grew up an Alabama fan. Burr Bryant offered him a scholarship early, and in those days you were supposed to say, yes, sir, as he closed his mouth. Well, he grew up a farm boy, and he said he just had to go to an ag school, and he found out they didn't have an ag school in Alabama. So then he almost went to Mississippi State, and one of the recruiters said something to I think his mother in the recruitment that didn't sit too well with him. So then he, he had an uncle who lived in western Kentucky. And so he decided to come up here and look at this, and he chose Kentucky. Uh, I'll let him tell you all the rest on the podcast. But great, great guy, played on the 76-77 center. Uh, to this day, uh, he's still waiting to get invited, the Kentucky team to go to a Sugar Bowl. He was really, really so happy. He had a very bad scare with a heart problem a year ago after we'd done the, uh, the podcast. And come along very nicely. Dear friend, uh, no better guy around anywhere than Dave Hopewell. Episodes 25 and 26, Sam Bam, Sam Bowie. Wow. Um, what he went through. Missed two four years, and really and truly, when you look at it, about two and a half years. Had two good years. Uh, 
First year, they lose to Duke in the uh, Sweet 16 at Rupp. After they lost to them in overtime in Springfield the year before, comes back, has a second good year, and then the injury, and then out for over two years. His first game back in 83 was the first regular season Kentucky-Louisville game. After UK had lost to Louisville in the Elite Eight in Knoxville the year before, and my goodness, the best poster I've ever owned, and it still stands up, is the one of him blocking Jeff Hall's shot on the front of Sports Illustrated in that 83-84 game. But his life and his career here, his friendship with Dr. Singletary, the president, was so unique. Uh, easygoing guy, made a lot of money in the, with a, uh, in the pros with the Portland Trailblazers, but he never did get over that entry. But even today, he's just so calm and, and, and sitting in here talking with us, you know, uh, just has everything set up in life the way he wants it and such a gentle person. Uh, nobody quite likes him. Yeah, you can't say enough good words about Sam, Sam Bowie. Uh, the adversity he went through with his injuries, I found most interesting the recruiting story and you always like to talk about this, too, uh, with him and Ralph Sampson. Uh, his upbringing in Pennsylvania, I thought, was very interesting, too. And it was towards the end of uh, episode 26. It was very emotional. Yes, he did. When he came back that senior year, uh, he wrote a letter to the fans, which I published in our yearbook that year. And then he talks about, you know, all of his trials and tribulations. And he's he, he sent off in that second episode is something that any Kentucky fan, you know, these kids really get it. And Sam Bowie, definitely one of them that got it. Episode 27 and 28, this man has taken Twitter by storm, it seems like, over the last year. And I love reading. I love talking to him. And I think we were both pleasantly surprised by Roger Harden. Well, I wasn't. I was. Uh, the reason I wasn't, I've known Roger since he was a junior in high school. I knew his father, who was a representative, a sales rep for Converse Yearbook, and that's who I dealt with in getting them to sponsor the okay. back cover each year. Gotcha. So I, I knew that Roger is Mr. Kentucky Basketball Tradition Ambassador. He embraces it. He lives it every day. And while a lot of them like to sort of be in the background and just sort of out of line, he loves the limelight. Always did, always will. To hear him tell the story about he, how he had to play start in some games his freshman year is <laughs> so funny. Now, you know, because he's like, what was I doing out there? Well, he was out there because another player had an injury, Dickie Bill. You know? But if there was ever a point guard made – for an Eddie Sutton offense, it was Roger Harden. And that 85-86 season with him and Kenny Walker, boy, it took eight games from Alabama and LSU to sideline. They beat LSU in that Elite Eight in Atlanta. They bring home the bacon in 83 because Louisville won it. And Kentucky beat Louisville that December. Will you ever find a tougher player than Roger Harden? No, I mean, he, he can what, – what's that old commercial, Timex? It can take the lick and keep on ticking. Well, that's Roger Harden. I mean, you can knock him down 20 times, he'll come up for 21. 
This has been episode 101, part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Our next episode in this series will be episode 101, part two of Conversations, as Oscar and I will continue to look back at our guest. To listen to all previous 100 episodes of Conversations, each episode is available at oscarcombs.com and available for your mobile devices through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Just search for at Wildcat News and subscribe for free. Oscar on Twitter, give him a follow at Wildcat News, and you can follow me as well on Twitter at Bo McBlue. On behalf of Oscar and all of our guests, I thank you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.